and welcome to The Truth About Fiction. I'm Lynn Michelle. And I'm Derek Thompson. And we're going to talk about the whole hard grinding business of being a writer, of writing and being published. We're going to shatter some myths, break some hearts and hopefully bring you something inspiring. But most of all, we will tell it how it is. Hello, Derek. Hi, Lynn. Here we are at the end of a rather weird year. Feels like a full circle. Yeah, it's been strange. What's really strange, the whole COVID situation and the politics essentially are a set of stories. And some people cling to one version of the story and some people cling to the other. And the truth is kind of somewhere somewhat malleable in the middle. Oh, I like that idea. The stories, the true stories, the false stories and the in-between stories. And we're in a maze trying to find out where the truth lies. And there may be no truth. So we have to take from it what we need and what works for us, I suppose. It feels to me like it's it's been the sea washing in and then washing out. It's always my sea image that I turn to. And when the sea washes in with all its COVID ingredients and references... I feel it very much there and I find it hard to work. And when it washes out again, I can leave it in the background and I can I can carry on with my writing and editing as if not very much is different, even though that's not true. How do you feel? Because I know you said yesterday that you managed to write every day, which is more than I'm managing. So how do you do that with, with all this? It's a turmoil in the background. In the interest of disclosure, I don't write very much. I would say probably I write around 500 words a day. And what I do is I plan it out during the day and I prevaricate, play a bit of online bridge. We go for a walk. And then when I go to bed, instead of reading, I think, hell, I must do my homework. And I force myself to handwrite in very scribbly, should have been a doctor handwriting. And then the next day I try and decipher it. So I do it, but I probably don't give it the time and dedication it deserves. I think I do it by as much as possible closing up the outside world. I don't deny it's all going on, but you have to be ruthless. It's not going to help me to dwell on the medical and political disasters that spin around us like, like tornadoes. So what I try and do is keep away from the news and exercise as much discernment as possible and really lock myself in the attic, both literally and metaphorically and just try and close it out and that's not always easy that feels a bit selfish but writing is selfish there's two points there i wanted to to pick up one is writing selfish and the other is the places where we write uh, i did a launch the other night for the whole kahani which is a wonderful collection of eight south asian authors who support one another and it was so professional and one of the questions from the audience was just that to one of them do you need a place where you write and she said yes absolutely Absolutely. It's my bedroom. And she said, I have to be there to write. And I run the household by shouting out of the door in between the writing, shouting my orders to the rest of the family. But I can't leave that space because no writing happens unless I'm sitting down there. So your attic, you have to be you have to be in the attic to write. But what you just said was that the process each day for 500 words 
is going on throughout the day. So it's not just when you sit down and put your fingers on the keyboard. In fact, you said you, you do it longhand. I would say the writing isn't going on during the day and therein lies the problem. I think that this idea that you have a particular space, it's very sort of NLP-ish and it does work. You know, if every time you're about to write, a bit like Roald Dahl who used to go out to his shed and he had these particular pencils and his yellow pad and he had a board that he used to put over his knees, it all sounds quite ritualistic. You know, a bit like tennis players who, like Nadal, sort of crosses himself or they wear the, wear the same socks or whatever it is. We like rituals. They give us a kind of certainty. So if you've got a particular routine that works you want to keep doing it because it works the problem comes when for argument's sake it's too cold in the attic or you need to be somewhere else now i found it used to be when i used to travel from the west country to london on the train but i used to get so much writing done and the more that i did it the more acclimatized i was to it to the point where i once wrote a, I think it was about a five thousand word story just on the train not really knowing where it was going. Not the train. I mean, that, that I knew where that was going. And that was 20 minutes late as per. I was so kind of habituated to get on the train, get a notepad, start writing, that it became second nature. And when I stopped travelling to London, it was a bit of an adjustment to sort of write in, in other ways and in other places. So for me, I find it's helpful not to just write in one place. Sometimes it's on the computer, sometimes, and it's a habit I got from the crime mysteries, the two of them, one coming out next year, fingers crossed, it um, was just to dictate it, to sort of do free flow, Barbara Cartland and just kind of sit and go, he went to blah, blah, and this happened and that happened and then tied it up afterwards. So I sometimes type, I sometimes dictate and I sometimes do longhand, but I find that longhand, it puts me in the writing in a way that the other two methods don't. The other two methods, there's there's a bit of distance, but when I'm writing and I've got a notepad on my knee, there is a sense of physicality to it. I sort of prefer it, but unfortunately, I have the worst handwriting in Christendom. And the next day, even if I'm wide awake, I'll look at it and some of it will make no sense whatsoever. I can't do that. That, that I, The thoughts, the words go straight from my head to my fingers. That's how I work. I couldn't do it that way. But I have two two spaces now. I've got We, we have an open plan house. So I've been working in this open plan area for 11 years. Now I've converted a room downstairs and I have my very own study. So what I do is I do my linen press work upstairs in the open base. And I like doing that. I can put books in envelopes and um, order books and do all that stuff. But I have to go downstairs to write my own books now. It's the only place I can write the current book. And because it's been cold recently, as you say, I've not been down there and I've not been writing. Now, I don't know whether that's an excuse. I don't know whether it's the COVID wave um, washing over my head and uh, putting me off or, or whether it's a physical reluctance to go and go and sit in a coat downstairs. But definitely I've split between the two places. I can only write the whale story downstairs. And I want to pick up the other thing you said. Sometimes when you take yourself completely away, writing happens, and I don't know how this happens. I found hospital waiting rooms and doctor's waiting rooms are really good places. And once I've waiting for a very long time and x-rays in between in Edinburgh in the chest hospital, I wrote a whole short story while all this was going on called Cactus Flower. And it went on to win, uh, <laughs> it, it won an award. And it was like being contained and confined to the point when I can't sit here on this hard chair anymore and do nothing, so I'll write a story. And yeah, that was longhand too. I scribbled like mad in a, a notebook. Mysterious ways, Derek. Was the story in, in any way related to the hospital? 
No, not in the least. It was set in Nairobi. And it, it was presumably completely unplanned or was it something you've been... I'd been thinking about it. I'd been... It must have been floating around my head. It, it didn't pop up in the waiting room. I think it was, as I've said before, I pulled the plane down from its yeah. um, circle above the airport. Only the airport was the doctor's waiting room and I, I brought the plane down and it landed and off I went. I was going to say there was a quote, but that's bullshit, to be honest. It's one of my quotes, which is, <laughs> if, if you always play to your strengths, they're the only ones you'll ever have. <laughs> yes. That's Other true. greetings cards are available. It's interesting you were saying about you do linen press work in one room and you, you you do your own stuff in another room. So there is that physical and psychological separation. Now, interestingly, when I freelance on those great days where clients appear, I can only do that in the attic. Mm. I can't get into that headspace. I suppose because the attic, I associate with it, it's more officey. I mean, it isn't. It looks like a paper chase lorry has just dumped stuff everywhere, in all honesty. But with the creative writing... I find that being in different places is good for me because it kind of shakes me out of that I do this a certain way. Same with walking. You know that sometimes you'll be stuck on a, an idea, there'll be a book element that just doesn't make any sense. You go for a walk, your conscious mind is distracted, which is the game here. You're looking at the scenery, you're listening to birds, whatever it is, or you're, in my case, you're talking to yourself. And then suddenly we just click into place from nowhere. I think it's that idea that you are sort of t- literally taken out of yourself. Yes, absolutely. And walking is essential. Walking seems to switch your mind and thinking into some other mode. And that's often where ideas come. It's like you're taken out of your routine and your familiarity. And it allows openings. Openings appear and ideas pop pop down. The whole process is unfathomable. I have, I've had books where I've worked every day like you and then this recent one is so slow and so intermittent and I come and go and I enter and depart and I've no idea where it's going and when it's going to end and I think because I'm so many books down the line I'm not minding that too much I don't feel panicked about it so I'm letting it have its own way and letting it go at its own pace but can I go back to you saying why is writing selfish? I agree. Well, I want your answer. And it's selfish in terms of why you're doing that. You're not doing anything else. You're not spending time with friends or family. It's almost kind of selfish against yourself because you know, it is bum on seat or knees up in bed with a notepad on, on your legs. It's selfish, I think, in a good way because you recognise that the writing is important to you. It matters, so it, it gets prioritised. But I think it can make you selfish because you can start to think that your priorities are the same as the people around you. And when you disappear in the attic or the writing room or walking across the fields mumbling to yourself, it's easy to forget that all actions have consequences and that distance can kind of cause ripples in, in other parts of your world. I find if I'm working on a book and I have freelance work to do, generally the creative writing is more fun. And so sometimes the freelance working has slipped. You know, it always gets done in the end. I say that in case any future clients are listening and always to a high standard, probably. But it's selfish because you can't do everything at once and you have to decide what's important. And doing one thing means letting go of something else, whether that's television or spending time with your partner or even writing the other things that you want to write. Yes, but imagine the the alternative, Derek, where you wake up and don't know what to do with the day. 
it gives me a reason to get up, get going, and I know it's there. It's like it's like a room, again, back to the room image. I know that room's waiting for me, and all right, maybe I'll do housework. Maybe I'll walk the dogs. Maybe I'll do some clearing up. It's still there, and I can go into that room whenever I want. I would hate to not have it there and available and open what would I do with myself all day if I didn't have that pull towards something I love doing? And when it's going well, there's nothing more satisfying when it's going badly. It's difficult. It's challenging. It makes me grumpy. But on the whole, thank goodness I, well, it's been 40 years I've been writing. I can't imagine a life without having that there. Like, it's like an extra layer of me. And without that, I think I'd be much paler. I'm sensing that you see the word selfish as, as a kind of pejorative or bad thing. I just see it as it's just a focus, isn't it? I mean, someone somebody who trains to be an athlete, they make, I suppose what I'm saying, maybe selfish is the wrong word, but I quite like it. It's this idea of making sacrifices. You know, you do this rather than doing that. You try and avoid the things that take you away from writing, either in terms of time. You don't take up other interests that would take up, you don't decide, well, while I'm writing a book, I'll also learn to play the guitar. I think what you're saying, I think you're defining a writer who's serious, who's committed, who writes because it's much more than a hobby and a playtime thing, something we, we have to do. Yes, we are selfish, but I prefer the word focused and committed. Yeah, it's, it's, I suppose it, it comes down to doing the work, putting the hours in. I mean, I'm not sure I, I subscribe to this 10,000 hours will enable you to do anything brilliantly, because as someone pointed out, it doesn't take that long to make a cup of tea well. So 10,000 hours is just a lot of tea. I think we should do the, the, the cliche thing that everybody does this time of year. Why not? What would you say as a writer have been your highlights and your lowlights for 2021? As an editor working on Avril Joy's novella about a remote farm where COVID is happening and working with Avril on that that book, This One Wild Place, that, that gave me great pleasure. And it felt very relevant in terms of my own writing, clinging on by my fingertips to the novel I'm trying to write about, a crofter's child, a long distance swimmer and a lost whale. I haven't let go of it yet. So I'm pleased it's still there in the background. I'm finding it really hard, whether it's hard because of what's happening in the world or hard because of what's happening in my head. I've no idea. But it's the toughest thing I've written. But it's pleased me to have come up with something so different. I think being quite relaxed about how much I'm writing and uh, how much time I'm spending writing, being able to give myself a bit more, being a bit kinder to myself this year. Again, maybe because I'm aware of how hard times are for other folks. So why should I complain or, or make things difficult for myself? Life's been hard this year. I have found this latest, this latest Omicron difficult because we had, a, we started to have a feeling of freedom, didn't we? And now the shutters are, are coming down again. Another freedom for this year, another highlight, the swimming pool. <laughs> the swimming pool, swimming from April when the temperature was about 12 to October when it dropped to about 15 and I had to give up. But every day swimming up and down, that stretch of black water has been an absolute joy, particularly this year. 
where I hadn't, I hadn't been to many places. I, I've been at home, but I, I, I could get into the water every day. I, that's been my joy. The downside has been missing my family terribly, not having the freedom to just pack my bags and go and see them. And the downside has been the whale novel, where as well as being glad of it, I found it very hard. So pull, push, pull, push the whale story. How about you? I wanted to ask something first. You know, you mentioned the importance of the swimming and the swimming pool. Do you think in some ways there's a connection now with your book? Oh, probably, yes. Yes, I mean, probably. Water. Well, even, what? even I mean, it sounds an odd thing to say, but even when you said, oh, you know, the black water, that just sounded so evocative. And it just made me think about this, you know, we've talked about these themes, buoyancy and support and often psychologically equate water with the emotions Yes. The last novel, The Red Beach Hut, is also set on a seaside on a beach. And I get as far as going on the water with a little rowing boat. With the whale, I've gone into the water, gone into the ocean, far, far away, oceans away. So my black water is probably the whale's crossing of seas where it will be dark as night for him. I'm sure there's a connection there. I go up and down, not getting anywhere, and he's crossing the seas, not knowing where he's heading. Yes, definitely. But also that sense of separation from the family pod. I mean, you know, maybe that's... I, I, don't, I mean, I don't know. I'm curious about this. Which bits of The Crofter's Child are proving to be the most challenging and how much of that kind of relates to your internal process and how much of that relates to just the, the business of writing the story? The hardest part is writing the whale's voice because when you're swimming in black water and you're a whale, there's not an awful lot to narrate. So I'm really, I'm searching far and wide to give him something to say as he swims. And I don't want to make the whole climate change thing too obvious and too dogmatic. So I don't want him to say too much about that. What I've been trying to do is, is get much closer to him. So instead of watching him swim, I've been swimming alongside him. I suppose the narrative is is partly just about the idea of separation and loss and identity, you know, because yes. we often define ourselves by the people around us or the things around us. And now you say that, I can see how very how very many strands there are that go between my writing and my life. And I hadn't really thought about it very much, or I was more dismissive. If you were to, if if you were to have said that a few months ago, I'd have said no, there's no connection. But as I'm feeling now with, with Omicron washing in again, yes, I can see that there are very strong links between my emotions and my response to COVID and the, and what I'm writing. But for you, that's different, isn't it? You're able to pull down the shutters, close the curtains and stay with your spy thriller, which is not in any way, I think, is it, tell me, linked to a pandemic? Well, no, because it's based in 2005. It's post post the London bombing by about now, I think about a month or two months. For me, it only hurts if you feel it. So why bother? I would say for me that the highlights are sort of odd. I was I was, <laughs> I was watching snooker yesterday. I'm not a massive fan because I'm a terrible <laughs> snooker player. used to be quite lucky. Uh, I used to play snooker with my brother who used to cheat. I was watching these two snooker players, which was Neil Robertson and Ronnie O'Sullivan. And Ronnie O'Sullivan is an amazing player, but he puts other players' backs up and he has this kind of aura of confidence because he is he's a... I think he's the most successful snooker player ever. And Neil Robertson was an Australian. It was an Australian. It is an Australian. And he came over. He turned professional at 16. 
I'm remembering all this from yesterday and came over to the UK. But when they play, it's neck and neck. But the interesting thing is when Neil Robertson is playing, he seems to be he seems to be a bit more cautious because he knows as soon as he makes a mistake, Ronnie O will get in. And that will be the game. And I think that the final, there's only 19 frames. And I don't know what the money is, but obviously, you know, it's their career and their income and everything else. And this idea of things being balanced on a knife edge, I actually found quite appealing. I'm pretty fluid. One might even say lazy with my writing. You know, I, I'm, I'll get there. I'm about 26,000 words into the next Blade and Book, which, as I say, publisher doesn't even know I'm writing. And I, it's a kind of for the fans, currently called Lazarus, but that will probably change. And originally, I was going to do it by the end of January. I think February is probably more likely. And I haven't really pushed myself, but this idea of work and focus is really crystallised in my brain because I was watching them. And what was really good about it, apart from the fact that they can play snooker and I can't, was just how much attention to detail, how important it was to them. And I realised that this this is just my view. For this last year, I've been a bit slack. And I know that people need to be kind to themselves. Yeah. But I do kind of feel I should, should have kicked myself up the arse a bit more, which is quite difficult when you've got really tight hamstrings. I think that the high point of this year has been the space to sort of do things and to get out. I mean, we walk two or three miles every day, pretty much every day. It's rare that we we don't do that and there have been little things like the black cap has returned to the garden we've had some starlings and the natural world has been great and who doesn't like to spend time with trees the downsides really in a way for me in relation to writing are in a way good sides because they're realizations the realization i know we talked about this before about where are you in the hierarchy where are you on the ladder and for me it's been making the peace with where i think i am and how far i can go and also that i would consider myself i mean i'm very lucky to be published anyway but i'm very lucky in that a lot of the writers with the same publisher as me, Joffy Books, are fantastically successful. And there was a time where my competitive side found that really difficult. And I thought, you know, why can't I be doing as well as them? And the answer is possibly the better writers. Partly, without doubt, they've written more books. And also, there's no sense in competing with other people because you don't know the backstory, you don't know their abilities. All you can do is right. And I was looking at um, a couple of the authors who've done really well and have had books out in the last three months. And A, I was really pleased for them because who doesn't want to see someone who you could know casually doing well? But B, I came to the conclusion that I really like the fact that I'm kind of competing, if you want to call it that. It's like I'm uh, a wild card in snooker and I've come into this tournament and I'll almost certainly get hammered. But for a while, I'll be able to play with some of the greats. And I found that there's just that idea that you need peers who are ahead of you in the game. You don't want to be a big fish in a small pond. Because it matters more, you try more. And because of that, you get further than you would have got had I, say, been, for me anyway, self-publishing and thinking, well, I'll bring a book out every couple of years and it will be okay and I'm really pleased with it. No, I'd much rather be in a situation where it's hard because when it's hard, I pay attention. But low light, so obviously, you know, we're still living in an apocalypse. Life is finite. The sooner we can get our shit together and the sooner we can focus on the things that matter and get on with it, regardless of whether it works or it doesn't work, the better. So for me, it's all been a bit of a wake up call. And I have to add quite selfishly, one of the other benefits of the ongoing pandemic is that people are reading more. People need books more than ever for escapism, for information and ebooks, seemingly particularly. You're in a, a pretty good place, both in your attic, on your walks, 
you've come to terms with where you are in this literary game. You've done really well. There's another Thomas Bladen on its way. So you sound like you're comfortable. And within that comfort zone, you can do whatever you want. And that's really good. You're not desperately striving to run in other directions. So you sound you sound in a good place. And I hope that next year that will carry on. Do you, do you see it continuing like this? Well, the interesting thing is in terms of comfort zones is what I'm seeking now is to be uncomfortable. So are you wanting to push yourself a bit harder now? Yeah, I suppose it, it's more about, like I s- said before, about how in research, I can't remember if this is before we started or after, but in research where I found out about the Espionage Act, which is a piece of American legislation, made me think differently. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. Maybe I can do something with this. And what does it mean? And where does it go? It's that sense of the unknown. What I want to do is just seek it. Seek out, it sounds like the beginning of Star Trek. I'm just going to say seek out a new experience. Just this idea of writing matters a lot to me. And that's a sort of a, a ticket to travel within my own head. And what I want to do is, is more of that. Comfort zone is a good thing, generally. But because I know myself and I know that it can be very easy to get settled and say, I've arrived. And each time you publish the work of a writer or writers, that changes Linen Press. It evolves, it goes in new directions. And I think that's how it should be. I think when I said comfort, I I was defining it as within the publishing world rather than within how you see your writing. So that makes sense. You're comfortable within the publishing world because you already have a publisher. Uh, And so that gives you a certain baseline from which to to do whatever you want, to leap in whatever direction you want. It, it certainly changes. I mean, the one thing I have found, the advantages of being a published author, one is that when you write to an organisation such as the police and you say, can you tell me which police stations in the Bristol area have detention facilities and where's CID in the major crime unit based? When you're published, you can at least put a link in so they can look at the link and go, oh, this person isn't a nutter. They're not <laughs> and, and they're generally very, very generous at a time. Whereas when I first started out and I contacted Customs and Excise and said, I'd like to ask some questions about smuggling at Harwich. There was not a response. <laughs> Who is this man? <laughs> well, not even that, yes. Um, probably on a file somewhere. When Ian Rankin started out in his first... When he first wrote Knots and Crosses, the, it, the first Rebus novel, he was actually pulled in by the police for questioning because some of the things he was writing about were quite similar to an ongoing case. Ah, Life imitate art. In a way, that's brilliant because that would give you first-hand experience. <laughs> it wouldn't be kind of once removed. It wouldn't be an, an intellectual appreciation of the uh, interrogation process. In another life, when I was um, teaching psychology and um, I had to run a course for GPs on how to look people in the eye and actually talk to them, their patients, they confessed to me that they had this, this code. And I'm thinking of you ringing up the police station. They write in people's folders, folders in those days before four laptops they used to write w-h-r-o-h and I said and what was that and the guy said it means we've got a right one here (laughs) (laughs) but let me go back to writing and away from my GPs who were terrified of being taught psychology and having to enact scenes with pretend patients I still find it terribly exciting when I've gone down to my room and I've been writing for an hour or two and have no real memory of doing it. I emerge a couple of hours uh, later and this doesn't happen very often, but 
something has happened, words are on the paper, and they've magically written themselves, like like I've got some software program that's been switched on. And I think, gosh, I've only about 10 minutes has gone by, but it's been about two hours. And it's in those moments that the best writing happens. It's when I'm least conscious, least trying, least aware, least in my head, something gets switched on. And there are these little passages. I'm finding it harder to get at them at the moment. Maybe that's that's what I'm talking about when I say this this new book is hard. I'm finding it harder to to find my way into that space where the writing is almost unautomatic. And afterwards you read it and think, I don't actually remember writing any of that. It's quite good. It's good. It's always so exciting and satisfying to emerge from that state and know you've done something good. And yet you're competing only with yourself. You're not even competing. You're wanting to to do the very best you can with the words you have and the thoughts and ideas you have and occasionally it all comes together and it's just so rewarding I think it's about letting go all I can say is I hope both you and anyone listening to this has a good winter solstice Christmas New Year etc and uh, thanks to whoever listens to this and for your comments on LinkedIn and beyond I look forward to next year me too I look forward to talking to you the other side Derek wherever that is and whenever it is okay goodbye for now and happy Christmas and happy new year to everyone and let's see what happens next it's a wrap